Well, the uh, goal today is to be careful because we're talking about words. And the uh, Lord tells us in His Word that not many of us should be teachers because we cannot tame the tongue. And teachers will be judged with greater strictness and harshness at the last day. So um, after I read this text, if you guys would pray for me. Um, This is from Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at various verses throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that pertain to the topic of words and how we speak. Okay, So starting in chapter 3, verses 1. And then skipping down to verse 7b, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after the wind. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is weariness to the flesh. So in this uh, moment of silence, we're asking that God would make us aware of his presence. And just sort of in line with, with what 5 verses 1 through 3 says, when we, when we come together in the presence of God's people and in the presence of worship, we are um, imagining the, the overlap of heaven and earth, life above the sun, life under the sun coming together in the person of Jesus. And there's a lot of beauty to experience in that. There's also, um, God cautions us to be, to take care, okay? And so uh, that we would hear well, that we would speak well, that we would speak wise. That's what we're praying for in this moment of silence, okay? So let's pray. Father, we ask that you would come now and be the word made flesh, that we would be guided by the true shepherd to know what it is like to be sincere and impartial, to know what it is like to keep silent sometimes, to know what it is like to speak in an artful, curious, and gentle way. And we ask that by the Holy Spirit that you would show us and guide us in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so we've been, been asking this question, 
Through the book of Ecclesiastes, does life have meaning um, without God? That's what the teacher, his name is Kohelet in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's the teacher wrestling with that question, does life have meaning without God? And he comes to the topic of how we speak, how we use words, and what we choose to say in a given moment, and what we choose to not say, who we choose to say it to, who we don't. And I want to look at that um, under these three headings, how to use wise words, uh, through the, the value or gain of silence, the art of speaking, and the shepherd of speaking. Okay, so the value or gain of silence. Um, there is nothing to be gained from many words. That's what Ecclesiastes 12.12 is talking about. So one of the, another question that Kohelet is asking is that, there, is there any gain under the sun in this world, or is everything hevel or breath or just so, so brief that it's here one day and gone, gone the next? Well, Kohelet seems to suggest that it's foolish in chapter 4, verse 6, and chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it's foolish to be hasty with your words, to be quick. It's foolish um, to use a lot of them. It's foolish to be loud and forceful with your speech. And one of the things that silence does is that it sort of immediately slows you down. Um, Several of the words that are used for quietness also have the connotation of stillness. And there's a reason um, why we don't like stillness and quiet. When we are inundated with words and quick sound bites, it keeps us from listening to what might be more deeply at stake with our souls. And uh, Frederick Nietzsche said, haste is universal because everyone is in flight from himself. And I've found that to be true without the awareness of God. And so what can be gained from silence? If, if there's nothing to be gained from a, a lot of words, what are the good things that happen when we keep silence? And I want to give you four quick things under this point that I think will be helpful. One, when you are still and quiet, you are intentionally relinquishing control. When you are still and quiet, um, you are intentionally saying, I am not in control. And one of the main ways we seek to control our lives is through words. Number two, when you are still and quiet, you are embracing your limitations. You're embracing the fact that you are a creature and not the creator. Number three, when you are still and quiet, what begins to happen is that you begin to hear and notice things that have always been going on, but your life is too busy and noisy for you to realize it. And now we're kind of getting down into something that's very, very practical and where I want to center what I think Kohelet is teaching. When you are quiet and still for long enough... You can even begin to guard the words that go on in your own head. This is one of the most helpful things about Scripture that I think we 
can learn from, uh, you need to guard how you talk about other people in your head, not just for their benefit, but for your own. Um, How you talk to yourself about people is probably one of the most important ways we use language. And Kohelet says that there's a way of how you speak in your own head about people. There's a way of it getting out into the world and harming other people, but also harming yourself. And this applies to people in both high and low positions. So in Ecclesiastes 7, 21 through 22, think about this. Just deeply think about it. Do not, do not take to heart all of the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. And then it says, because you yourself know that you have cursed others in your own heart. And then it says, even, even in your thoughts, don't curse the king. Or in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. It has a way of getting out what you think and say in your head. And so what Kohelet is saying is that what will emerge in the quiet will be a discovery that much of the energy, much, much of the striving, particularly in how we speak, has been in avoidance of the more important questions of life. Meaning, the reason why we use a lot of words, the reason why we're busy, the reason why we're so driven is that we don't want to ask the question, is what I'm really, really passionate about, is what really pushes me, is, is what I, I spend a lot of time talking about, does it actually matter? Like, will it last, or is it breath? Uh, we don't like to ask that question. And Kohelet says, when you're silent, you, you sort of are getting closer to being forced to ask that question. Um, Koela also says that when you think about what we're doing right here, gathering in worship with God's people, he says you actually need to be really, really guarded about what you say, especially if you're saying things about God. And the reason in the scripture that it gives for that is because God is in heaven above and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. The reason why is because, like we said at the call to worship, we are practicing where heaven and earth overlap right now. We are imagining and practicing the presence of God in one another's midst. We're considering what it's going to be like when life above the sun comes down to life underneath the sun. And it's beautiful. There's a beautiful aspect of worship but Kohelet would say, but also be careful. In the midst of that beauty, be careful. I was looking up um, that in 2023, there were 10 fatalities at the Grand Canyon. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, that, that's, that's positive, by the way, because it's down from the annual average of 12 um, deaths per year at the Grand Canyon. But there are signs everywhere at the Grand Canyon, not to get close to the edge. But the number one cause of death at the Grand Canyon is helicopter and plane crashes. 
because they're getting too close to the beauty. They're getting down in the beauty and they get too close. And what I want to suggest to you is that when you are talking to another human being, we need to think of each other as souls that will live not just for thousands and thousands of years, but for millions of years. And your soul in a million years is going to be something more majestic than the Grand Canyon. And when you use words in the midst of a soul, you are to be very, very careful. Not afraid, but realizing the magnitude of what's right before you, another image of God. And so be, be guarded. Um, be careful. Understand its beauty, especially during worship. Now, how does, uh, how does this get practical and when we actually have to emerge from our silence and speak? What, <laughs> what do we do? Um, uh, two weeks ago, we had a lot of snow, as you probably remember. And um, there's a lot of ice on my street. And even though Lincoln, Nebraska is flat, there's a slight tilt uh, on my street, which meant that all the wrecks came to my yard. Um, there were many, many wrecks right out in front of my house for me to watch and see. And I was pulling my trash can down, and this person was going too fast downhill on the ice, and uh, they slid and, and hit the car right next out in front of my house. Grandma, granddaughter in the car, they were okay, everyone's fine, but it was a mess. So they are in the car, and I'm like offering them hot chocolate and popcorn, like I just want to be helpful, and they're, um, they're fine. And then after about an hour, they're still out in the car, and I go out and knock on the window, and I'm just like, can I please help? And the, their grandpa had showed up at this time, and he gets out very kindly. He like steps in the snow. He introduces himself, and he's like, uh, we, got, we got it under control. Um, we're, we're okay. And I said, you know, that person, that person was driving way too fast. And that's why they slid into your car. And um, the first thing he did is that he paused. And then he, and then he sighed, not like in an annoying way, but he was like considering me. He was like, hmm. Then he said, you know, I've been known to drive too fast on ice too. And I was like, that's wisdom. That there was a, a sense into which he considered the situation, he slowed down, and he, he was uh, artistic in how he just spoke to me. What I learned from my wise old friend is that he used creativity and consideration to steer me in a better direction. You know, that's what the word goad is it's a it's a steer you guys probably know this if you're farmers but it's a steering stick for animals um and here's what I what I want us to consider what I just did in that moment you know like I'm I'm trying to relate to him I'm trying to in in my mind I'm trying to care for him but what I did is what our culture always does and by culture I don't mean those outside of the church I mean all of us this is what we are doing 
we are quick to cast blame and pick sides. And I was blaming somebody's foolish behavior for the mess that he was in, and it wasn't even my mess, right? And his response showed me that there was no gain or value in speaking that way. And he did it in such a creative way. So, what do, like what do we do when we re- when we realize like we need <laughs> we need wisdom or we're not artful in how we speak? Um, that's where we start. We start from that humble position of like uh, I don't know how to tame my tongue. In fact, no one does. It's uh, what James calls a restless evil. And I don't know about you, but like when I come to this topic on Scripture, I, I get to a place where I just never want to talk because of repetitive failure and immense amounts of shame. And we live in an environment, I'm, I talk with a lot of campus ministers, not just Thomas and other campus ministers here, but uh, campus ministers throughout the nation they said one repetitive thing that their students deal with is the, the fear of saying anything wrong because it would prevent them from getting a job. Um, not just like competency, but like saying things wrong in the culture. And so there's tons of people that are just scared to talk because it literally affects your, your livelihood. And so we're timid or filled with shame and fear. Or we go the other way. And we don't consider our setting or surroundings because we feel it's our duty to state the truth and state it loudly no matter who hears it. And if somebody gets offended, it's their problem, you know. But neither of those approaches is the way of humble wisdom. The scriptures say that when we don't know what to say or when we're incapable of taming the tongue, We must look for help. If we lack wisdom, James tells us to ask for it from above. And the wisdom from above will be given to you without reproach. We must look to the collected sayings of the one good shepherd. Meaning, y'all, we actually have a guide. We have a guide on how to speak. The shepherd of speech. I I want to turn to a passage um, with you. It's in Matthew 22. I want you you all to turn there, or if you have a device, go to, to Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. And I want to set up this passage for you because I think it's very helpful for us. Um... The context of this passage is that Jesus had just told a story about a wedding feast, the wedding party, and it was about who's in and who's out. Who gets invited to the party and who doesn't get invited to the party. And the religious leaders get offended by it because they sense that this is about them and that they're not invited into the party. And so, because they're offended... They ask a political question with the intent on trapping Jesus in his own words, okay? That's the context. And so Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk 
And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And then they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So I want to think about, I want to think about this with you, just for a moment, because there's so much to be gained from that interaction. Jesus was in a highly, he was in a highly charged situation with different sides of a political issue placed before him, and he was forced to answer the question. The Pharisees would have been against Rome and paying honor to Caesar. The Herodians were benefiting from being in league with Rome, and so he's, he's cornered. Are you for government or against it? Are you for God or against him? And depending on how you answer, is going to place you in a camp. Depending on how you answer, is going to say, you're in or you're out. Have you guys ever felt like that? Maybe even in your own home? So what does Jesus do? Well, first, he slows down. Where do you see that in the text? He has them bring a denarius. That alone had to take some time, even if it's in like somebody's pocket. I mean, that, that's surprising that they ask him a question. He's like, somebody bring me a coin, you know. <laughs> um, and I don't want to add to Scripture, but my, my assumption in that moment is that Jesus was asking God for wisdom on how to answer. And he says, okay, look on the coin Whose likeness is there? And they say Caesar's. And then he says, give to Caesar what's his and give to God the things that are God's. And in that one phrase, what he demonstrated is how to be inside this world and not of it. He discerned a better approach by having them look at the image of the coin. And he was being the true Kohelet. And he's, he's saying, basically, look, you, you have to live life under the sun. And Caesar's in charge under the sun. But there's also life above the sun. And he directed them to what I would like to call the doctrine of the both and approach to life instead of the either or. You're either this way or that way. And Jesus says, no, you can, you can pay taxes and worship God. And that's not compromising. And you might say, well, that's, you know, that's great, but like, I'm not Jesus. I don't know how to do that. Uh, I don't know how to be wise. There was a guy named Paul who didn't know how to be wise either. And when Paul converted to Christianity prior to meeting Jesus, he would have been the epitome of this like strong, forceful, truth speaker to a pagan culture. And then God humbled him in ministry. And in 1 Corinthians 2, it said he's, he's talking to a group of people who want Paul to speak eloquently and to use good, eloquent, wise words. 
And he says, look, y'all, when I first came to you, I was anxious. I was, you could hear it in my voice. I was trembling. I didn't come to you with wise speech. I came to you broken. And God spoke. God does not need human eloquent words to do his work. And then this is what Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And that doesn't just mean don't cuss. What he's talking about is this. You are to speak in such a way that builds other people up. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And he says, when you speak, don't lie, don't slander. Make sure that what you say is true. When you speak, don't be rash or bitter or angry. But he says, be kind, be kind to one another. Make your heart tender towards one another, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. That's how you are to communicate. So, let's make this practical. Let's say somebody asks you a question that you don't know how to answer. Let's say you are put in a situation where you know if you say one thing or the other, you're immediately at odds with the person in the room with you. And you really don't know how to move forward. They think differently than you about something in the Bible or in culture or in politics, whatever it is. Christianity actually gives you the resources to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And when we do speak, everyone should feel heard by us. Everyone should be treated with careful tenderness. Remembering that we are a helicopter near a cliff. So be careful. You have a soul in front of you. You don't know what that person's going to be like in a million years. Be careful. In seminary, we learned that we are to never make straw man arguments out of people that we disagree with, especially other theologians and and scholars, and, and the metric that was given to us is that we had to represent an opposing view so well, so well that if we disagreed with that person, they would be honored about how we spoke about their view. And I do think that this is one aspect that the church can give the world right now that will be the most evangelistic thing in our moment. That when we are in conversation with those that we may disagree with, it is okay to say, you know, I just don't, I don't really know how to answer that right now, but I want to hear more about where you're coming from and to listen. There's a thing in your mind if it's, if it's like, but, but they're not doing that, that's, you're already going down a wrong path. What I'm talking about is how somebody who's united to Christ should embody him in this world. Listening to somebody that you disagree with is not a form of compromise. It is the way of Jesus. We listen first, not out of fear of offending, 
but simply because we are honoring the likeness of God's image in front of us. And someone might say, but we got, we got to get the truth out there. We have to say it clearly and loudly. And I just, I just want you to, I would refer you back to the Gospels that Jesus all the time spoke in parables that were not clear to his audience. There was one thing that Jesus was repetitively clear about over and over and over again, and it was that he was going to suffer and die. And no one wanted to hear that. And that is the wisdom of the gospel. That the very worst human decision somehow birthed rest, the restoration of the world into the cosmos. And Jesus is like, this is the center of how the wisdom of God is seen. God's eternal decree. And that's what the, we, we must be driven by the cross. And that's what the church has to offer the world. The wisdom of Jesus, who though he had every right to judge us harshly for all the careless things we've said, for all the malicious things we've said, for all our, our hypocrisy, when we come to him and we're like, yes, we need help. We have gone, we have erred like lost sheep. Um, he's our shepherd who will tenderly care for us. And he shows us how to be impartial and sincere, starting with us. That he can't, we can, we can be told, you've been hypocritical. That's sincere, but God is so impartial that, that he can take anybody, give grace to anybody. And then what that does to us is that it makes us gentle and it makes us um, truthful, open to reason, impartial and sincere. And actually the strongest way for truth to come across in the world is when we ourselves are changed by the gospel, when we are silent and humble enough to listen to the word made flesh and to ask for help. So how, how do we become wise with our words? We do practice silence. These are practical things. We practice silence. We practice the art of speaking. I try to become like my old wise sage friend on, uh, on the ice. But ultimately, you got to be guided. We all have to be guided by the wisdom that came down from above. Um, he is not just the example, but he is the way to speak wisely. He is the wisdom that came down from above that gives us a way to embody the good news of the hope of the gospel to anybody we come into contact with. Um, and so that's where our speech, you know, we don't always have to be saying Jesus on our lips, but we, we need to embody what, what he's like because it's, it's so much better um, than what we normally do. So we get a chance to, to confess and to come back to him and to try it again. Um, so let me pray, and then we will go into a time of confession. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you have given us um, a way uh, to move through this world that is not uh, too timid nor too bold, um, but it is your way, Lord, the, the good shepherd who teaches us how to hold that tension of um, sincere and impartial speech, no matter who's in front of us. 
And so um, we ask that you would help us to see our faults, but not for the purpose of wallowing there, but for the purpose of coming to you um, so that we can speak into this world your goodness and your grace and your truth. In Christ's name, amen.